Good morning, church. It is uh, good to be with you today. I did see the Lord and through His creation uh, this week. Uh, no bears as I was uh, mountain biking, but uh, maybe you've seen the butterflies and the flowers, and it is just uh, beautiful uh, out there as we see uh, the creation that He has made. If you uh, were not here uh, last Sunday, uh, we heard the Apostle Paul speak to us through his word, through the Spirit, um, a, a warning last week. Verse 17 of chapter 16, we heard a warning to the Roman Christians to stay away from certain people that were divisive. Paul knew that they were vulnerable, and the way to maintain durable joy in the Lord was to stay away from these folks. Now today, as we come to the last unit of Scripture in the book of Romans, uh, Paul uh, does something very different. He broadens his, his message his final note is not something so simple as to stay away from individuals that you would be vulnerable to, to follow them in their, in their divisions and so on. He, he does something very different in his final note, in this final unit of Scripture. He doesn't say, please do this or, or please uh, uh, avoid that danger. No, what, what has happened, what we're going to see in today's passage is that the two authors of the book of Romans, God the Holy Spirit, author number one, and the Apostle Paul, author number two, have, uh, ha have given us guidance to strengthen us knowing that some problems, some trials in life cannot be avoided. They're going to be with you, maybe all the way until you are with the Lord. So some problems and some challenges are with us, and yet God is able to strengthen us in the midst of those. That is the note we're going to see in today's passage. So there's not a task or an assignment to avoid. But Paul speaks to Christians today uh, through his word, through today's unit of Scripture, a promise to believe, a promise that we need to believe. And that promise is that divine strength, the strength of God himself is able to come into your life and help you through whatever it is. Because some of the things in life that we have to live with, we cannot avoid. They are, they are with us, and we need His strength. This sermon, this passage, is about how to tap into His infinite power and to be strengthened even through the severest of trials. And we're going to see that when we come to verse 25. Hopefully you have your, your Bibles open or your devices open, and you can track with me 
here. Let's uh, pick it up in verse 21. And then most of this sermon and everything I've just said by way of introduction is going to come out of verse 25. But let's take a look at our text, Romans 16 in verse 21. Paul has been taking an entire chapter, if you will, to say goodbye, to conclude. This is atypical from all of his other letters. We have an entire chapter that is a benediction, a conclusion, a greeting, and he's, like all good preachers, kind of going on and on and on and on. Um, He said, amen, Um, a a while back, if you look at 1533, he said, amen. And then he has verses 1 through 27. So we're picking it up in 21 of verse 16. He writes, Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you. Timothy, of course, one of Paul's closest friends and colleagues and co-laborers in ministry. So he's sending greetings to you. That is you, the house churches in Rome. No buildings like this, no cathedrals, the church met in homes, and Timothy sending his greetings to you, Roman Christians, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, and uh, these are my relatives, he says, referring to these few folks he's just mentioned as fellow Jews. That's what he means by relatives. He doesn't mean they're his cousins or so on. Verse 22, I, Tertius who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. So just a a comment here on Tertius and on ancient letter writing. So it was very common to have a scribe or a secretary or a fancy word for it and a manuensis write your letter for you. And so Paul would dictate his letters orally. So he has dictated this letter to Tertius. And most scholars, most commentators, myself included, think that at verse 22 is where Tertius would have taken down his pen and handed it over to Paul. It was also customary, in addition to having an amanuensis write your letter for you, is to write the last few verses or the last word or the last few words in the author's handwriting himself so as to prevent fraud and to authenticate that I actually wrote this letter. So it is very likely that beginning at verse 23, Paul the Apostle wrote in his own script the end of the book of Romans. So Tertius is taking, with Paul's permission, some liberty in saying, I greet you also, those early Christians in Rome. Verse 23 Gaius, whose, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy. And the whole church here is the church in Corinth or one of the churches on the outskirts of Corinth, Cancrea. This is where Paul is writing from. And so he is experiencing hospitality of the church in the Corinth area. And Gaius sends his greetings. Erastus who is the city's director of public works. Kind of interesting. Um, And our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Now one comment about Erastus here. I don't know if any of you have traveled to Greece or to Corinth. Anybody here make that trip? So if you made that trip or put this on your list, this is one of the things you can see, even in our projector here, uh, you can maybe make out Erastus' name 
on the top upper left of this particular inscription, this archaeological find. So we have authentic, authentication of, uh, of, of Romans, not that we need it. We know that Paul wrote this. He was inspired by the Spirit. But critics of God and critics of the Bible often want to say, yeah, well, Paul didn't really write this. Someone else did. These people aren't real people, and they made all these things up. And I mean, you probably don't read a lot of people that are saying these sorts of things, but if you were to uh, travel, if you were to be at UCLA or UC Berkeley and go into their religious studies department, you would hear all sorts of arguments along those lines. But you can travel with the professors from UC Berkeley or UCLA and show them that this guy who's mentioned right here is, is authenticated in this ancient piece of granite. His name is there. This is all by way of introduction, getting to what is our main emphasis today, which is coming out of verse 25. Let's move our attention there. So now, Paul says, he's, he's finally he's been trying to finish this thing for a while. He finally finishes here, probably with his own handwriting. Now to him. Verse 25, now to God who is able, who is powerful. The word, the Greek new word, the Greek word that is translated able there is, is the, the word dunamai, where we get our English word dynamite. It doesn't mean dynamite, it just means that he is able, he is powerful. Our God is infinitely powerful and able, and Paul is acknowledging that. What is he powerful and able to do? My translation says to establish you. To establish you, the readers, the Christ followers of the book of Romans in the foothills in 2022. The word of God is living. This is what he is saying to us today. That God the Father is able to, the ESV has strengthen, which I prefer, to strengthen you. Originally, he's saying that to these Roman Christians in the house churches. Our God is able to strengthen you. This is the final note that Paul is sounding in what has been described as the greatest letter ever written. The final note is that you will be strengthened by our God. You, Roman Christians, you, readers of, of this book, Christ followers, until the Lord comes back throughout all generations, how are we going to be strengthened? By my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on with a whole litany of dependent clauses that I'm not going to get into all of them, or we would be here for a long time today. I want to focus on the beginning of verse 25. One more comment before we kind of move to application here. When Paul says, my gospel... You see that in verse 25, to establish or to strengthen you Christians by my gospel. He is not saying, you know, well, so-and-so has this gospel, and so-and-so has this gospel, and here's my gospel. That's not what he's saying. Those of you, I know some of you have been studying the book of Galatians, and Paul is very clear that there are how many gospels? How many? Are you awake? One. There's one gospel. If anyone preaches another gospel, uh, yeah, that that. That person is condemned. There's only one gospel, that we are saved by 
Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. So what is he saying when he says, my gospel? What he's referring to here when he says, my gospel. Move your eyes down to later in this, in this, in this last part of Romans where he says, so that all nations might believe. When Paul says, my gospel, he's referring to this aspect of the gospel, this good news about God is that it is not just for Israel alone, but it's for the peoples, it's for the nations, it's for every tribe, it's for everyone in Africa, it's for everyone in Asia, it's for everyone in Ukraine, it's for everyone in Russia, it is for everyone. That's what he's getting at, this gospel that God has given Paul to take to the Gentiles, to the world, where there's no, churching, no churches that exist, that's where Paul wants to go. So he concludes this letter by saying to the Christian reader, to that first century Roman church, that God is able to strengthen you by the gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Now going back to where he says he is able, he has this power, he has this ability, I just want to remind you of the infinite power of our God. Look at Psalm 147. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. It's become a, a somewhat of a tradition of mine. Almost every night I walk outside and the trees cover much of the sky at my place, but there's like a, a window through the trees to the sky. And when I went out last night, there wasn't really any moon. And I saw all those stars. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. It's the power of that God who is able to strengthen me and strengthen you. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. My understanding has a lot of limits. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble but cast the wicked to the ground. This is the God that Paul is closing the book of Romans with, encouraging the reader to say he's able to strengthen you. This is the God who is able to strengthen you. Now this idea to strengthen the church at Rome, the first century church at Rome, and the idea to strengthen the reader of the book of Romans through all of the generations since then is nothing new. Paul hits this theme in Romans chapter 1. In fact, if I were preaching for three hours today, which you can give me an amen that I'm not going to preach for three hours today. If I were preaching for three hours today, I would probably take an hour showing you the massive parallels in Romans 1 and Romans 16. There are tons and tons of parallels in Romans 1 and 16. We're just looking at one of them right now. And that is this idea that Paul expresses back in chapter 1 that I want to make you strong. I want to make you strong. God is the one who's going to make you strong. But through Paul's preaching and conversations about the gospel and about Jesus, I want to make you strong. This is why he wants to go and visit them. This is why he wrote the book of Romans, to make them strong. And so this is the note that he closes the book on. So how, the rest of our time today really, is how does he make you and me strong through the gospel, my gospel, Paul says, and the proclamation 
of Jesus Christ. So we're going to start with the gospel. How does God practically, concretely make you and me strong through the gospel? Well, again, going back to Romans chapter 1, we need to understand as Christ followers that there is power in the gospel. This is a message that, that has power in it. There are themes that are important in the gospel itself. And from this news that Christ died for sinners and rose on the third day, within this message of freeing people in bondage, people who are trying to find their way in life and can't find it, the way to find your way in life is through the gospel. There is power in this message. So how do you and I actually get strengthened still specifically through the gospel? There are a million different ways that we get strengthened through the power of the gospel and remain strong. But let me give you one of them. And this is a verse that we often look to at confession or at the Lord's Supper here at Cornerstone. Let's look together at 2 Corinthians 5.21 as we think about the power of the gospel. God the Father, He made Him, God the Son, Jesus, who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. He was perfectly obedient. He was perfect in every way to be sin. Why would God the Father make God the Son, who was perfect and knew no sin, to be sin? I mean, just on the fact of it, if I read this for the first time, I would be kind of like, why would you do that? He did that on our behalf. He did that. God the Father made God the Son as sin. That is, a sin substitute, a substitutional life on the cross for the sins of the world because you and I could not pay the debt that we owed. So He made His own Son to be sin on our behalf. So this thing that sounds so strange, this, this part of the Gospel is, is really an incredible expression of love and of grace what He did. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now, I don't feel righteous most of the time. And most of the time, you don't really feel righteous either. We feel weak. We feel like we let God down. We feel like we've blown it again and again. Why? Well, because those things are actually true. So how is it that we're righteous? We are righteous by faith in the one who paid the debt that we cannot pay. So when God looks at us, we're righteous. I'm going through this to try to show how the gospel is actually supposed to strengthen you and me when we meditate and think about the gospel or the gospel theme of love. The, the gospel and love are connected. And this is how we are to be strengthened. I'm strengthened when I think rightly about how much God loves me and how much God loves you and how much God loves my neighbor 
who is yet to believe in Christ. This is how much God loves me and you his na- and my neighbor to make us righteous. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So Paul is wanting to strengthen the Roman Christians going all the way back to chapter 1 where he says, I want to come visit you because he wants to have conversations with them about the gospel so that they are full of joy and strength and know how much God loves them. So we are strengthened by the power of gospel love. Another verse, going back to Romans 5, as we think and meditate about gospel power that strengthens me in you. Romans 5.20, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. So this sounds like bad news again, as usual, when we read something for the first time in a fresh, well, what is this getting at? The law was added so that the trespass might increase. That doesn't sound great. Uh, The way I understand what this text is saying is that the law, for example, the law of Moses, for example, the Ten Commandments, for example, the Tenth Commandment, thou shall not covet, Mike, your neighbor's donkey, your neighbor's Tesla, your neighbor's house and pool and jacuzzi and deck. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. Well, I know I shouldn't steal my neighbor's Tesla. I didn't need the Bible to tell me that. But the Bible tells me that I, sh- that I shouldn't even covet my neighbor's Tesla. So as I'm coveting my neighbor's Tesla, just inside, no one knows. I haven't taken it. I don't have the skill set to take it, but if I did, I couldn't take it. I wouldn't take it, but I'm coveting it, so I've trespassed. So the law was added so that the trespass might increase. So my trespasses have increased, according to Romans 5.20, as I understand the law. Here's the good news. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So as I covet my neighbor's Tesla, And if I actually think about that, and I actually repent of that, I don't need a Tesla. I don't need to waste my time coveting a Tesla. I don't need that for, like, finishing the book of Romans for my congregation or anything. I don't need that gift. That was like a bad joke there. Um, (laughs) If I'm thinking seriously about my own sin, at the end of thinking about it, I should be smiling and rejoicing Because God is there ready to forgive me and grace has increased all the more. This is the message of the gospel that whether I'm coveting or whether I actually do something in life that violates God's character and His law, that the gospel is there to forgive me. Jesus is there to forgive me. So where sin has increased, grace increased all the more. Oh my gosh. That is good news. So what Paul is finishing the book of Romans on is not, hey, avoid these folks, avoid that, do that. He's saying, this God is so powerful that he can strengthen you by his gospel and by the proclamation of Jesus Christ. When I rebel or sin or fail to meet God's standards, when you rebel or sin or fail to meet God's standards again and again, the power of gospel grace unrelentingly strengthens me when I know that Christ died to forgive me 
and I humbly repent and I come before him, he is not reluctant to forgive me. That's why he sent his son to die. He is eager. He is waiting. He is on the edge of his seat, ready to slaughter the fattened calf and throw a party when I repent of that sin again and again and strengthen me. That grace is there. Paul finishes the book of Romans saying, I want you to be strengthened by the gospel. One of the greatest pictures we have in the New Testament of the gospel is the parable of the prodigal son, which is better entitled the parable of the two lost sons. We don't have time to preach that passage this morning either, but I'm going to allude to it briefly. Most of you are familiar with it. And it's, it, the word prodigal is, is just in our language because of the beauty and, and the, because of this, this passage it's in, in the Bible. It, it's become part of our English language. The, the, are you a prodigal? And, and you know the story, this, this son, yeah, I want my inheritance, I want my money now. And his father, in this parable, in this story, a parable is a, a simple truth that points to a greater spiritual truth. And so in this simple story, the father in the story represents God the Father. And what does the father do in the story when the son who's ready to go party and go crazy and doesn't want to honor his father but wants to live for himself, what, what does the father do when he says, give me my, my money, my inheritance now? What does he do? He gives it to him. Wow. He gives him the money. A father in the story knows he's not a wise son. He's a foolish son. He gives him the money. He blows the money. He lives prostitutes and partying and all that. And then he eventually gets to the end of his rope and he humbly repents and goes back to his father. And we see as he goes back to the father, his father ready to celebrate and party and to welcome his son home. This is a message, a theme of gospel love. This is what Paul wants the Roman Christians and the reader of the book of Romans to be strengthened by the power of that gospel, of the father who celebrates his son coming home and really shows outrageous grace and love by giving him the money, by setting him free, letting him go, and then welcoming him home. You know that there's two sons in that story. In his book, The Prodigal God, Tim Keller writes this about the two sons. He says, Neither son loved the father for himself. They both were using the father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him for his own sake. They didn't love their father, really, in this simple story. That has a spiritual truth. This means that you, you and I, can rebel against God and be alienated from Him either by breaking His rules, that, that's the younger son, the prodigal son, or by keeping all of them diligently. Neither of the sons really know and love the father in this story. For one of them, his idol is flesh and partying and prostitutes. And the other one, it is religious legalism, is his idol. Neither of them love their father. One of them, it's obvious he doesn't. The other one, it's not obvious that he doesn't love him because he's a compliant child 
and he does everything that child's supposed to do. But when we get to actually look at the parable, that older brother, when he sees his father having the party, he answers his father, look at all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. The paradox of these two brothers is that the one who was the wild child has, has found humility and repentance and a love for his father. But the, the writer, Luke, of, of this gospel leaves the reader not knowing what the outcome of the older brother is. We're, we're, we're not told which direction he goes. That's because many of us are older brothers. And we maybe do everything right, but we are also far from God. Externally, we look like we've done everything right. We've been teaching Sunday school for decades. We've gone on the mission trip. We've, we've given money. We've, we've done these things. Romans 3.20, coming back to gospel and how it's going to strengthen us. No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. The older brother, many of us are older brothers in here. We haven't been wild childs. We've followed many of the things outwardly that God calls us to. But we might inwardly be thinking, I deserve this. And I have fallen prey to religious legalism. So we are strengthened by the gospel, whether we've lived the wild child life or whether we've lived this teaching Sunday school sort of life. Neither one is declared righteous by observing the law. There is freedom in the gospel. There is freedom in this news. Paul closes his, his sounding note on the book of the Romans as I want to strengthen you by this gospel. I love what Jesus says to the thief on the cross. Coming up to Good Friday, I'm excited about that. Three churches coming together to worship Him, moving in different directions. We've rotated different directions. We've rotated different buildings over the years. We're going to be at Redemption. I'm looking forward to that. Good Friday, the day of Jesus' crucifixion, there's a man next to Him who's on death row, who's a criminal, who's a wild child. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Whether you've been a wild child or whether you've been teaching Sunday school your whole life, the only way that we will be with him in paradise is by grace, through faith, in what Christ has done. This strengthens the believer, these truths, this incredible, lavish love that we saw in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. This incredible, lavish grace that we see in the parable of these two sons, and that no law can save us. This is how the gospel is to strengthen us, to meditate on the power of these truths in the gospel. I love it when Christians point me to the power of the gospel. Some years ago, uh, my wife and I were uh, going to, a, uh, to lunch 
at a Mexican restaurant right up here uh, near Lake of the Pines at uh, 49 and, and Wolf at 49 and what is that other road over there? Yeah, Combi, Combi. Yeah, we're in that little Mexican restaurant. Some of you have been there. Small place, not too many tables. We're going to be picking up our kids from school. And so we're having lunch in there. And there was another, another believer in there uh, from another congregation. I didn't know him very well, but I knew he was a believer. You know, as a believer, we maybe had a couple conversations. We're eating lunch, and, uh, you know, we finished lunch, and I, I go up to pay for, for the meal, and this guy's already left, and the, the guy at the counter says, hey, well, that, this guy that was in here paid for your guy's meal. Um, you, you don't have to pay. I don't think I've ever seen that guy again. I, I think he's moved. I, I, I've, there, there was no... Um, like, I've done this for him, he's going to do that for me. It was just this outrageous demonstration of grace. This is a guy of modest means. This wasn't a guy that lunch, the cost of lunch means nothing. This is a guy of modest means who bought our lunch. Just completely outrageous grace. That sort of action by a Christian points me pointed me, and is now pointing all of you, to the greatest grace, the power of the gospel, in the Father making the Son sin, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, and then to be ready and eager to a thousand generations, ready to forgive and show grace and love to those who love Him. He's, he's, he's ready to show this outrageous grace and love to you and me. This is the power of the gospel. This is what it means that he is able to strengthen you by the gospel. So that's my first point. I'm going to do the second one much more quickly. Back to our text. Yeah, yeah, three hours. I might, we might get that. So verse 25, there's two things here. How is he going to strengthen you and me? By the gospel and by the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Now when he says the proclamation of Jesus Christ, he is not saying that we... Well, let me see, how do I say this right while I'm preaching? He's not saying that we all need to be listening to sermons all day, the proclamation of Jesus Christ, in order to be strengthened, although that is going to strengthen you. He's not talking about, like, every day you've got to have your, your earphones in and listening to sermons. That, that's not the point here. Although that would be a good thing. The, the point here is that the preaching, whether it's preaching like I'm doing right now, or whether it's conversation around a table, or on a hike, or in a coffee shop, conversation about Jesus Christ, and looking to Him, and knowing Him, and loving Him, is going to strengthen you. It is about getting power and strength from the gospel, and power and strength from the person of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is wanting. He's wanting to impart some spiritual gift to make, them to make them strong. My guess, my guess on what the spiritual gift that Paul wants to impart to them is his gift of talking about the gospel and talking about Jesus or preaching about the gospel and preaching about Jesus. Paul wants to come to Rome and exercise that gift to strengthen them. Another way to say what he's saying is the main thing is to keep the main things the main thing. 
The main thing in your life and in my life is to keep the main things the main thing. And what are the main things? The main things are the gospel and Christ. The the main things are the message of the Bible and the Messiah of the Bible. These are the main things. These are what will strengthen you as you endure trial and suffering that may be with you your whole life that you can't avoid by avoiding these certain people. I want to close today, as, as several of you know, I've been reading a biography on Frederick Douglass, a Christian who was a slave. And his life is an unbelievable life. He suffered unspeakable. I'm going to try to refrain as I continue to read this biography from having you enter into the kind of suffering that he shares about that is very difficult to read about. He could not escape. Um, he, he did escape, eventually become a slave. I haven't got to that part of the book yet, but he, he couldn't ex- escape the trauma that he went through, emotional and physical trauma and beatings, whippings, whippings by his Christian slave master. So in this biography I'm reading, the biographer writes this, he says, Douglas's great gift, and the reason we know of him today, is that he found ways to convert the scars, Covey, this is one of his Christian slave masters who whipped him, he found ways to convert the scars Covey left on his body into words that might change the world. His travail under Covey's yoke became Douglas's crucifixion. And resurrection. Now, I know very little about Frederick Douglass. This guy is a Frederick Douglass scholar who teaches at Yale. I want to be humble in what I say about him. He knows a lot about Frederick Douglass, and I do not. But so far, in reading the biography, uh, David W. Blight, who wrote this biography, emphasizes the brilliant oratory and the brilliant writing of Frederick Douglass. And he's right. Well, I, I probably wouldn't be reading this biography today were not Frederick Douglass so incredibly intelligent and such a gifted orator and writer. But what he, the uh, biographer, at least thus far, hasn't brought out, I hope he's going to bring it out more, he's brought it out a little, is that the reason that he was able to write and to speak and to continue to live after he endured things like on the Sabbath, when Covey would gather all of the slaves and all of his family, white and black, together to sing hymns, he would have Douglas, Frederick Douglass, lead the hymn sing on the Sabbath, for example, right after the day after he had just whipped Frederick Douglass. He didn't do whippings on the Sabbath. Can you imagine having to be the worship leader of this great throng on this plantation as a slave and actually love God and find power in the gospel? This is what Douglas did. So what I'm trying to say to try to help you and me and what the biographer has not brought out to the degree that he needs to is not that he, he brings out his genius in his oratory, in his writing. But he hasn't brought out the power of his God who sustained him through this.
through the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus who sustained him to get to a place where he could meet with Abraham Lincoln and advocate for the freedom of people who looked like him. I am bringing him up to say, that Frederick Douglass, that, he, that God is able to make you strong through the power of the gospel, through the power of the person of Jesus Christ. That is the note that Paul ends the book of Romans on. And that is a note, he got it so far that I know mostly from the book of Job, but that is a note that Frederick Douglass understood that God was with him and would strengthen him. And the Lord is with you and he is with me and he is more than able to strengthen you and to make you strong. We are, I think, at the end of a two-year global pandemic. Are we at the end? I'm, I'm not a prophet, so I don't know if we are, but I think we're at the end of this. And now we have a land war in Europe. And we are praying for our geopolitical leaders to avoid an escalation of that war. What I'm trying to say is it's likely that you and I are going to need to be strengthened by the power of the gospel and by the power of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, we thank you for this book of Romans that has been full of challenging and difficult passages as we have preached through it over these 15 months. But what a very encouraging note that is easy to understand, unlike some of the passages in this book. We understand, God, that you want us to be strong not in our own flesh and in our own talents and our own abilities, but to be strong through the power of the gospel and through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Make us strong, Lord, and may we have durable joy as we endure whatever your providence brings our way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.